Hey, this is Joey Rumble. I'm the pastor of Summerbrook Church in Somerville, South Carolina, and this is our podcast. I hope the message you listen to today speaks to your heart and helps you connect with Jesus and grow in Him. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the message. All right, let's go ahead and pull out those message notes and and join with me as we dig into God's Word. This morning, we're going to answer five questions from God's Word today that I believe will impact every area of your life, including where you spend eternity. It is a big deal, these five questions. So I want to encourage you to really keep your hearts open to what God is going to say in your life today because it impacts where we live, work, and play, our families, every area of our lives. So we're going to dig in today in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to pick up a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And we're going to look at, the, the first question we're going to look at is the one that's the title of this series. As Jesus is talking with his disciples, he shares this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That is a powerful question. You see here the, the messianic title, Son of Man, which is the, Jesus is saying that was a, a, a title of the Messiah, uh, the Christ who was to come, and Daniel 7, 13 shares that. But in that statement, the response is, who do you say that I am? This has impact in every area of our lives. And, and C.S. Lewis, I believe, develops this really well. Uh, where he talks about uh, the answer to this can only be three answers. It's Lord, liar, or lunatic. He builds a strong case that Jesus can, could only be Lord, liar, or lunatic. So think about it. Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be sent from heaven from, to save us from our sins, that he is uh, there to redeem us, to uh, to be the Christ, the Messiah who is to come, and that uh, through him we will have salvation and spend eternity with God as we place our faith in him. That, so for him to actually believe that and it not to be true but to really believe it, that means Jesus was schizo. I mean, he was psychotic. He was crazy. He was, he was a lunatic. He was crazy. And, and so if you really think about it, that makes total sense because you've been around someone that's got the most incredible, weird thing about them. You're thinking, man, they are a few cards shy of a deck. You know, it's just that, that type of situation. So you have to come to the place, uh, is, do you believe that Jesus was crazy or do you believe that he was a liar? Now, this is a big one because a lot of people say that there's no doubt that everyone doesn't debate the, his, uh, the history of Jesus that he exists and here on planet Earth, but this is what they say, that he was just a good moral teacher. or He was, he was a good man that, that taught a lot of morals and, and good stuff to, to follow, but, but he wasn't God. He wasn't God's son. And, and, but think about it. If Jesus was a liar, there's no way he could be a good man. Because he didn't just do one of these uh, little little fibs. He, he did something that was uh, where he uh, lied to all of uh, humanity. He, he, he built.
built this huge hoax, this huge lie that, uh, you know, over a billion people now on planet Earth are following Jesus in our period of time. And so if you think of him as a, uh, a, a liar, he was lying and uh, about such an incredible hoax that there's no way that he could be a good moral person. Because this is a big daddy, and, and I'm against all lies, but this is a big daddy, major city, uh, case closed, massive lie, that there's no way he could have been a good moral man. No way. So you have to, is he, if he was, do you believe he's a lunatic? Do you believe that he was a liar? Or do you believe he was Lord? That he truly was God here on planet earth? The decision you make to that, who do you say I am, which he's asking his disciples, impacts your eternity, but it also impacts how you live your life here on earth. So let's continue on and looking at these questions. So the first one is, who do you say I am? We'll continue uh, to build a case for that through the weeks to come. Next part is Matthew 16, 16 through 23. Simon Peter replied with the response, who do you say I am? Simon says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And then we pick it up from, and we, so that you have this response that uh, Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah to come. And then we pick it up in 1621. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised from the dead. And so I, I want us to take a, a, a snapshot of this conversation. And I'm going to be Jesus I'm far from it, by the way, uh, of living the lifestyle that Jesus lived. But in this role, I'll be Jesus. And, and we got uh, Peter over here that's going to uh, be a part of this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples and Peter. Pete, what, what, you need, what's, what, what's, what's up, Pete? What you need? I'm glad to help. How can I help? Wait, wait. Where's your, where's your brother Andy? Where's James and John? Okay, okay. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. You are a hindrance to the kingdom of God. For Peter, you do not have your mind. You have your mind on the things of man, not the things of God. Wow, that's pretty powerful from Jesus, isn't it? Remember, we just read in Matthew 16, now we're in 26, a little, uh, a little bit farther on in the, the timeline. But th give it up for Adam, by the way. Give it up. Thank you, Adam. Goes from prodigal son to Peter. Pretty good. All right. 
Next time, maybe you'll be Jesus. So, <laughs> but think about it. Jesus, Peter was just affirmed by Jesus, you are the Christ. And when he shared that, Peter's like, man, way to go, Peter. God's revealed this to you. So there's this huge affirmation. So in this moment, what is um, Jesus seeing in Peter that needed to change? Because, y'all, we know the future because we have the Bible. Peter is going to be the main spokesperson before Paul shows up for the church throughout the book of Acts, especially the early part of Acts. Part of Scripture was written by Peter. I mean, this is amazing, but I believe that Jesus needed to help Peter understand it is a big deal to have your mind on the things of God, not the things of man. That's a big deal because, man, Peter was a massive believer in Peter, so much so that he spoke truth to him in such clear ways so that he would be able to be strengthened in it. And I believe God's speaking the same truth to us, and we need to be able to answer that second question. What is your mindset? What is your mindset? Do you have on your mind the things of man or the things of God? And I think this is a much bigger thing to God than we make it out to be. And the reason I believe that is because how strong Jesus' rebuke was of Peter. It's an exclamation point in Scripture. Jesus was saying, hey, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to the kingdom of God. This statement here, and, and it, just a brief thing as well. We also, uh, what is your mindset? It's the big thing. I want us to take away the second question. But just a piece also, we got to think about our words. James says, be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. What if Jesus would have followed Peter's advice? Play that one out. <laughs> it's a really big deal not to be quick with our words uh, and, and really give prayer and to think hard about that. That's one of the questions in our reflection questions there at your church center app to think about, that we got to be really careful with our words. Let's continue on with uh, Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I, I love uh, reflecting on uh, the study Bible on this piece, that, that sharing that crucifixion is a shocking metaphor for discipleship. Disciple must deny himself, die to self, will, take up his cross, and follow, embrace God no matter what the cost, and follow Christ. So, so let's think about it. What is taking up your cross look like in Scripture? Because Jesus is telling his disciples that we need to take up our cross and follow him. As a matter of fact, Luke 
brings, uh, records and brings an insight into this conversation as well. And it says, take up your cross daily and follow him. So as we're standing here at the cross, I'm convinced uh, from Scripture that taking up your cross is all about an intersection. But not just a intersection, but the intersection, the most important intersection of our entire lives that we'll ever face. And so this is the intersection where our will comes in conflict with God's will. And that at that point where it intersects, this intersection, taking up your cross, is doing God's will, not your own will. That's what taking up your cross is all about. That we need to make sure at, when we have that intersection, are we doing that? And here's the big question. Are you willing to take up your cross? At that intersection, are you willing to take up that cross and say, God, not my will, but your will be done? The intersection. There's nothing more important in your life that we got to be uh, ask that question and respond with yes, are you willing? Today as we do baptism at the end of service, this is a clear testimony of people being willing. Uh, scripture says I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it, that it's an outward symbol of an inward change that's already happened of that I'm bearing the old nature, self-will, and being raised anew to life doing God's will. It's a beautiful description of what we're talking about here, about taking up your cross. I mean, I love Randy Alcorn, what he says here. Uh, he's, uh, Randy Alcorn's the one that wrote the book, the best-selling book, Heaven. Just an amazing book. But he said this statement. I heard this. I was like, man, that helps with taking up your cross. I'm going to read the quote to you from Andy Alcorn. That to which is for God's glory is always for our good. That to which is not to his glory is always to our harm. Isn't that incredible? That, that just settles all debates. That all of a sudden, that answers it. When you're struggling with taking up your cross, remember that to which is for God's glory is always for your good. And that to which is not for God's glory is always to your bad. So when we disobey God, it is never for our good. It, it, it helps us that our motive and desire should always be uh, to serve God, to honor him, to bring him glory. But man, I'm telling you, as we're parenting and we're looking at our lives, it helps to understand that it's for God's glory but it's also for our good. You talk about raising teenagers and raising kids to honor God, helping them understand that quote. Man, it helps big time. So I want to encourage you, taking up your cross, it's for your good. I know it sounds scary to always do it God's way, not your own way. But church, it's for your good. The creator of the universe came to earth to die for your sins, to pay the price for our good. Let's continue on. And as we, oh, let me look at one other thing here. Remember he says if you, you gain the whole world, yet you forfeit your soul. And he's talking about finances. I had something happen years ago that's helped me, and I'm hoping it will help you. Uh, go ahead and throw that picture up there. 
So uh, this, is, this helped me. Salvage yards helped me when I'm thinking about finances. Uh, because, uh, matter of fact, the largest salvage yard in all of America has about 10,000 cars like this, you know, salvage cars. And, and, and so if you do the math, and we'll just be easy on the numbers, uh, you multiply that times an average new car price of $25,000, a lot more, but we'll just do that. $250 million sitting at that one salvage yard where it's all going to pass away. It helps me. I hope you never drive by a salvage yard and, and think the same thing again. Uh, it, it helps me. Where am I investing my finances, my time, and my gifts for the kingdom? Or have I uh, spent it all on stuff instead of investing in the kingdom? Because it will all pass away. Now, God knows we need to get to point A to point B uh, to make a living. To, God knows we need to get to point A to point B to uh, share Jesus with someone for God's glory. So we all need cars that don't break down. What I'm saying is all of that's going to pass away. It's just a tool. It's what you do for the Lord, your heart. and Just don't get caught up in giving yourself to the things of the world. What? The mind of man. There again, Jesus spoke into that with Peter, that one's always helped me, a salvage yard. So hopefully a uh, little uh, tip that, that you'll pass on to people as well. Let's continue on. I, I, what I want to do now is help us see a, an example of taking up your cross. And this one is the big dog. This is where Jesus is taking up the cross and making the, uh, uh, wrestling with this with God. In, in Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Now think about this conversation, by the way, theologically. Jesus is completely God and completely man at the same time here on earth as he's having this conversation with God the Father. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Listen to that struggle. Jesus is struggling knowing that he needed to go to the cross to save humanity from their sins. But in that midst, he's like, is there another way? But not my will, but your will be done. Taking up your cross, that intersection. is. So we need to play out the movie. Are we, where are you struggling to obey God? But the prayer needs to be, God, is there another way? but not my will, your will be done. We need to follow the example of Jesus there and play the movie that what is for God's glory is for our good. What is not for God's glory is for our bad. Disobedience is for our bad. That's why when you're struggling, it's so important to run to God, but also others that love Jesus and love you, making sure that you uh, get some other people in your life to help you work through these wrestling matches with God. Let's continue on in Matthew 26, 40 through 46. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
This is one of my most hopeful verses in all of Scripture. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. That gives me so much hope. When I'm struggling uh, with my flesh being weak, man, I'm reminded, Scripture says, the spirit is willing. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let me bring you back to Luke with another snapshot of this same scene in Luke 22, 44 through 46. And being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. As, as Jesus uh, uh, sweating drops of blood, this is actually, a me- there's a medical term for this. It's called hematohydrosis, also known as hematidrosis. It is a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Now, the, the, the disciples couldn't even stay awake one hour and pray for Jesus. I know they were sorrowful. They're watching what's rolling here. I mean, but they couldn't even pray an hour. That brings me hope. Yeah, anyway, sometimes I, I end up falling asleep while I'm praying. Anyone here want to say, yeah, that's me too? Uh, yeah, and so I, sometimes I do that. It brings me hope. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, we need Jesus. We can't do it in our own flesh. That's why I love 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. It shares uh, where we are weak, he is strong. Why is that? Why is it that uh, uh, in weakness God is strong? I'm believing it's because when we're weak, we become more dependent and desperate for the Lord. So if you're in a weak place right now, there's good news for you. Scripture says the Spirit is willing, that when you're weak, He is strong. Man, weakness creates a dependence. Now, here's the dangerous part. You can start coping when you're weak with things that are sin that are not for your good and not for God's glory. But when you run to the Lord in your weakness and dependence for God's glory, it always leads to your good. So I want to encourage you. Where Those five questions, what you answer, where are you weak? There's hope for us. In those five questions, I really believe our takeaway today uh, for each one of us. Because if you want to make headway, you need a, what's your takeaway with those five questions today? Let me pray for you. Lord, as we journey through this series, Lord, I pray that every one of us would respond that you are Lord. We say that you are Lord. And then our lifestyle would be changed because of your love in and through us. God, thank you that when we're weak, you're strong. Lord, when we're struggling to obey you, that you give us the strength to obey. Lord, I pray that those uh, uh, struggle match with 
being willing to take up your cross. Help us, I realize that everything we do for your glory is for our good. Lord, I pray anyone wrestling right now that they would respond with, God, you're in control. I will take up my cross and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. I wanted two things today when we celebrate baptism. Not only celebrate it, but think about your life of taking up your cross, doing it God's way. Where are the areas that you need to make sure you leave here today being obedient to the Lord? Let's baptize together today.